Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 38, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I'm Tazzy, streamer and co-host. And our guest for this discussion episode today is illustrator and colorist for Image Comics, Titan Comics, and her own creator-owned comic, Temerity, Erin Angelini. Erin, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Yes, so um, this is the first appearance on the podcast, but I have spoken to Erin before when we did an interview as part of the Comic Online, which I will link to in the show notes if uh, you want to check out her, find out a bit more about her work uh, and what exactly it takes to be a colorist. Um, So before we get into our discussion and it's going to be a really good discussion uh, i want to remind people that you can subscribe to us uh, on apple Podcasts, on spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from you can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com or just shout us on social media at myamada on twitter at myamadatees on instagram or at tazzy on both uh, and we are now going to go straight into this discussion So today, uh, this is one I've been looking forward to. We're going to talk, be talking about the show Avatar The Last Airbender, which has been created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Con... Okay, I should have practiced this name beforehand, but I'm going to give it a go. Uh, Cornetsio? Cornetsio? I'm pretty sure I butchered that twice, um, <laughs> but so so apologies to Brian for that. Um, but I do love your show. Um, so this originally aired on Nickelodeon from uh, 2005 to 2008, but it's recently gained uh, a whole new life and a whole new level of popularity uh, when it became available on Netflix, uh, and this coincided with the planned release of a new live action series, which you may or may not discuss. Um, by the way. Um, which and also did involve the original creators uh, until quite recently, which is why we may or may not discuss it. Uh, anyway, spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen Avatar. Um, yeah, we're going to be going through uh, all the details of all three seasons. And I also want to just mention to people, just to let people know, uh, you are about to hear a good, like, solid hour of uh, a grown man gushing about uh, what is ostensibly a kid's show. If you don't hear that, this is not a show for you. I apologize in advance for those that want to stick around. Anyway, let's get into it. Um, so I was saying before we started recording that we had a, a lot of questions uh, for this episode. So usually on the show, we kind of save questions to the end. Uh, and I have done that, but I've also peppered the kind of uh, the discussion with some questions that I've had sent in from people. So our first question is actually from uh, Alex Chatfield, who is at LexHeartMama on Instagram. And she asks where or when and where did you first watch the show? Because uh, she is interested to see if people recently watched it on Netflix or if um, they caught it when it was originally airing. So yeah, before I'll do like a very quick summary of what the show is about, uh, but I just want to see when did everyone first watch this show? Uh, let's start with Erin. For me, it was about, uh, I think it was between six and eight years ago. I can't remember exactly. Um, a friend of mine was a huge fan and he had been already watching, I think 
back at the time, I don't think all of it had been aired yet or like, no, wait, it was 2008. So yeah, it had been aired, but in Italy where I live, it was not uh, either like easy to access or like easy to find. But a friend of mine had watched the whole seasons, uh, all the season in English. And I think he had a box set or some of the DVDs. So he borrowed, I could borrow some from him after hearing so much about the show and yeah. I watched it. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, he, this friend of mine was really obsessed with it and I was very happy that he dragged me into it because it was a uh, love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And how about you, Tazzy? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It must have been around somewhere around 2008. I can't remember if every season was out when I started watching it. Okay. Um, but I am definitely someone that likes, especially back then, likes uh, completed series or series with a ton of episodes so that I don't have to worry about it ending uh, without <laughs> the end, like without the actual end. <laughs> I don't get without to... Clo- without closure. <laughs> yeah, without yeah. closure. Um, so, you know, I'm going to go for like maybe 2008, 2009. Um, okay. When I was like, in secondary school when I was watching tons of anime <laughs> just every day <laughs> cool uh, so as is becoming uh, a regular occurrence uh, I find I watch things for the first time like very recently um, I know when we did the Princess Mononoke uh, episode that I'd watched it uh, like four days before we recorded the podcast for the first time uh, in this case I'm not as bad but I did watch this for the first time this year and it kind of came about because I had heard of the show and I because because it was a quote-unquote kid show um it wasn't necessarily at the top of my list but I'd also um around the same time started watching a lot of like story analysis videos on YouTube so I was, I was watching different sort of um people talk about stories and breaking down stories and Avatar kept popping up and there was this one channel in particular, which is uh, Hello Future Me, um, who does like great um, analysis and, and world building um, breakdowns. And he was obsessed with Avatar. Like, I feel like literally every video I was watching referenced Avatar. And I was like, can this show be that good that all these people are using it in their story breakdown uh, analysis videos? Like, it can't be that good. I'm going to have to watch it to see what all the fuss is about. Uh, so I did, uh, and I did, and yeah, um, I, I quickly shut myself up because uh, I was like, yeah, why have I <laughs> waited so long to see the show? Uh, so yeah, that was my journey into the world of Avatar. Uh, I'm here, uh, I live here now, and I uh, evangelize <laughs> about the show to other people, whether they want to hear it or not. So let's uh, do a recap, a uh, quick recap, because uh, the show has like it's mentioned about world building, has a lot of world building, uh, a lot of like backstory. And the show always starts with this kind of description, which basically goes, uh, long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. And that's the kind of like lead in to the show. So this is a story about uh, magic and you've got like powerful, uh, what are called benders who are able to manipulate the elements. So you've got earth, fire, water, and air. And like benders can manipulate one element and the avatar can manipulate all four, 
which is why they're the Avatar. Uh, but this show is about uh, a story um, which takes place when the Avatar, who is also the last airbender, goes missing. And it all takes place against the backdrop of war. So you've got the different societies um, are kind of defending themselves against the Fire Nation as it seeks to take over the world. And yeah, the Air Nomads in particular are nowhere to be found because Aang, who is the lead character, is Last Airbender, which is where the title uh, comes from. Uh, so the one thing I wanted to kind of start with is, as I just mentioned, this idea of it being a kid show. And what I really like about the show is that it has so many like complex, smart topics that just appeal to not just kids, but uh, sort of grown-ups, just anyone who's interested in sort of good stories. And specifically, it's an example of a like a cartoon that isn't just an adult cartoon or isn't just a cartoon that could be watched for ad by adults um, because it has like quote-unquote adult humor so you've got shows like Archer or Big Mouth or Rick and Morty that are cartoons that adults feel they can watch because it has you know this like uh, typical uh, a certain type of uh, of humor uh, what do you guys think about that in terms of like how this show deals with uh, certain topics should I should I go <laughs> yeah go ahead okay um i think that's that's exactly right what you just said i completely agree it's uh i think it's surprising just like just like you said you know we hear about this show a lot and have been hearing about the show a lot during the years and there's also this uncertainty you know like hmm, that this is a kid's show and i think that maybe in comparison to other uh more recent shows that are for kids but are actually for everyone and then it kind of became more of a of a genre like like rick and morty and others that like are known to be very popular in for, for all ages avatar being a bit older for so not so recent it's still i think it suffers a bit more from the stigma or like being a kids show because it's it's also very visually more addressed to kids but it does cover so much more than, you know, the average kids show. It's still lighthearted and fun. And I think it can be very much appreciated by kids without, like, I think that the deeper uh, discussions and deeper, deeper themes that are uh, addressed throughout the series can reach adults, but, like, don't are not heavy for kids. I think there is a... It's it's very well handled how they're doing that. Uh, so it's not it's not going to be boring for kids because it also appeals to adults. I think it's very it's a very good mix of the two things. Um, I'm I'm very happy. I think it it actually opened up together with other titles. It, it did really uh, open up the path for shows like uh, Ar well not Archer but like definitely like Rick and Morty and um other series like that and i think it's 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 very interesting and it's very cool and i actually think i know more adults and grown-ups that know the series than that i know families with kids that know the series <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> i think it's i think it's a kid's show i like that i don't think there's any but it is a kid's show that adults can watch and appreciate also, I think it takes a different approach to a to a kids show um, because it it does this thing where it doesn't treat children like they're not intelligent. 
because kids are extremely intelligent <laughs> and pick up on things really, really well. And it doesn't, it do, like it includes complex themes because the world includes complex themes. <laughs> but in yeah, a way that's, that's a good under, point. like it's understandable even even when you are younger, like I watched it as a teen, um, which I I think is like the the main audience would be like teenage, not not younger child, not ne- necessarily older child. Though everyone can watch it, the like main fo- like the main target would be that like that teen age around like the characters' ages. Um, I think it's very different from like. Uh, adult cartoons which mainly focus on humor they tend to focus on adult humor rather than complex complex themes with humor and fun um and really the only thing is that they're animated yeah but like oh there was something i was gonna say and it just went out of my head (laughs) (laughs) Um, well i mean I was going to add that um, just like an appreciation for that, because just working in in fields that are often dismissed as as quote unquote for kids like like comics and video games it is nice to see a good example um, of what you can do when you can appeal to kids and adults. And it's a very difficult thing to do. Like it's easy to go. Well, I say not easy. It's all like, you know, it's a challenge to create. Uh, anything uh, of quality but when you can when you only have to consider one type of audience then it that is less of a challenge when you have to consider like this is something we can make for kids but also want adults um, to appreciate and enjoy is something like Pixar do really well and it's a difficult thing to do um, and also I know we said like kids show a lot I just want to if anyone's what uh, listening to us uh, for the first time like we do not mean kids show in uh, any sort of negative way because we have talked a lot it's like some of our deepest conversations have come from like uh, animated uh, shows yeah we've had an existential crisis over toy story so yes that, that, did, <laughs> that did happen like the target audience like the main target audience but like we've said yeah. like they hit everyone um, and one of the points i was going to say is the way like avatar approaches it it's they I feel like a lot of shows will find their target audience and then only display characters from that target audience. Or when they display characters out of the age group, they then uh, sort of write them from the viewpoint of the age of the, the main character or the main target audience. Whereas I feel like this writes in a, a range of character, character ages and writes okay. them from the point of view of that. Or not quite from that age, but more considering the point of view of that person of that age or that age group. And that's how we get amazing, amazing characters. Yeah. <laughs> like Iroh. Like, um, oh, we, we are going to talk about Iroh. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I feel like it just has a, a has an approach where it considers everyone, like different viewpoints, um, rather than being like, this is a show that we are targeting towards like, teenagers and we're only going to consider how they feel think and approach life um we're actually going to consider how like an adult would approach this world um and include that and and like acknowledge that while we're writing it rather than it being like 
this is what kids will like. <laughs> and rather than being like, this is what I think kids will like. Um, and I'm going to treat them like they're not, uh, that all kids are like at the same level and that some of them won't. Like if a child picks up on the complicated things, they can and they can follow along. If they're not quite at that stage yet, it's fine. They can still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It's got that balance is what, what I think. You know, it's not... You know, like, I feel like things aren't made, or I feel like things are made for adults, but anything made for, like, not adults, <laughs> <laughs> anything made for children are really, can really be made for everyone. Um, yeah. And include the, the the whole audience, because I think it's better that way. Even great for, like, families, but also for us adults that just like these shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely with you on that. So, I mean... So we mentioned the characters and I feel like the sort of the greatness of this show comes from like one, the world building, which we'll touch on, uh, and two, the like the great characters and the character arcs that make sense uh, for the story and each individual uh, character's motivation. So we've got like the main characters. Uh, I mentioned Aang, who is, uh, is the Avatar and he's also the last airbender. So he has gone uh missing at the start of this uh i think this war that's been going on for 100 years led by the fire nation and he is found um in ice in um uh, as a south- near the southern water tribe by uh siblings katara and Sokka. or yeah i said that with a british accent i keep hearing it with an american one now it sounds weird anyway um, <laughs> so you got your your brother and sister uh pair katara and Sokka, and they find um ang and like together they set off on this journey to prepare ang uh to be ready to to take on uh the fire lord ozai so uh, and in terms like i mentioned the character arcs and like everyone everyone's got like a particular arc so like ang has a redemption story not necessarily the redemption story in this show because that's Zuko um but he has a (laughs) redemption story of someone who is like running from responsibility and needs to learn to accept it and face it uh you've got Katara who starts off um I think in the very first episode she you see she has the ability to waterbend but she's very much a novice and you quickly learn she's like hurt and deeply hurt by uh the loss of her mother who was killed by the fire nation and also um Sokka, who i felt felt was like i don't know what you what you both think about him but he had like a i'm gonna say underrated not that i surveyed like a bunch of avatar watches about him but <laughs> i feel like his story kind of underrated because he like he starts off as a it's kind of like air of misogyny uh, a little bit because of the way he treats katara and uh and other women in the early parts of the show and the way he positions himself as this kind of like uh i'm the man because he's he like i think the the other men like the grown men in the southern water tribe have gone off to take part in the war and, and left him as the only man in the village so he's got this like that i'm the man and I, i'm i'm the leader and uh, you all need to listen to me but he ends the show uh like humbled and sort of very respectful towards women and i didn't quite pick up on that like in the first uh season but later on i was like oh okay i see what they're doing uh with him it's quite an interesting journey he goes on yeah sure i think i i agree in the fact that uh Sokka is a 
I think in a way um, kind of an underrated uh, character because uh, yeah, it he's like one of the funny silly figures in the story in many sequences in many parts of the story. So there is this kind of feeling that he's just like the the fun gimmick. But uh, I do agree. He's very silly that, at times. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, we started uh, recording. I have recently rewatched the series uh, just last week, uh, and I did notice much more like his evolution this time. I picked up uh, on it much, much more, and it is true. Like it, it his his change might might not be as evident. Like Ang, of course, becomes the Avatar, and Katara also becomes a very powerful bender. And a lot of other characters discover their powers and, you know, peace with themselves and their their cultures and their people and everything. So Sokka's circle and evolution can be slightly less, uh, you know, like sparkly and brilliant in many ways because he he is not a bender. You, like, you have this feeling that people have this kind of, oh, maybe at some point he will discover he's got some secret power. But I actually am very happy that they don't do that. And then... He keeps working very hard throughout the seasons, and he—you can see how much he, you know, he bangs his head against the wall several times, and he makes mistakes and he learns. And I really like that about him. I think it's really—it's a really nice uh, character development for him. I—I mm. like—I I completely agree. Um, they kind of no character doesn't have like all the characters have some kind of development. Um, which is like something that is just great about this, about um, Avatar, just the whole whole of Avatar. There's <laughs> 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 something they do just across the board. And it is, like I said, it's a refreshing. He he doesn't have any bending, um, but yeah, he, there's still growth. It's not as shiny and sparkly, but um, like in the film, not everyone is a, is a bender. And I think it's important to show that in one of the characters that is a lead and a main um in it and someone you constantly are with to remember remember that they are and to not dismiss people that aren't benders in this universe there's not doesn't make you lesser which i think if they don't add that balance into the main characters then you might get that imagery <laughs> because it's all about the like benders. you need to have superpowers to, yeah. to be some i remember actually as you say that there's this um i can't remember which episode but when um when toff joins the group and i think they're being they're being chased by this like this weird machine from the fire nation it's like tank kind of thing that keeps following them mm-hmm. and um i think there's a moment where they get ready to face up to it and and toff says like the three of us are gonna take it on and and soccer's like wait what about me it's like yeah the three benders plus soccer it's just like this moment where he's like he's dismissed and like uh, Aaron mentioned is there's continuous moments of of failure in his his story and him being humbled mm-hmm. and then there's another episode later on where he goes to that um swords master who's in the order of the the white lotus to learn uh to get his like he gets his sword and he learns like um to to hone his skills and mm-hmm. the reason why he's taken on is because he puts himself forward and says he may not be worthy to receive training. And that humbleness kind of gets him um, the support from the master, which I thought yeah. was yeah, just a really nice touch. And he constantly tries. He constantly yeah. yes. 
constantly tries to be better. Uh, you know, he's he is very hot headed and and uh, is hot headed even the right term? Um, he's got. Yeah, he he's does kind of. He's, like protective. I'm trying to think of the right and, word. And like, I don't know, just. I, I don't know the right words to really describe. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, I'm sure. I know I you mean. Feels, I think he feels very responsible in general. Yeah. Like he, uh, with the fact that, you know, his his father leaving with the other men from the tribe to, to war, his mother uh, not being there, and like him being charged. So uh, it, this is very interesting because at the beginning of the story, when we uh, first get presented with the fact that he the man of the tribe and then his father went away and at the beginning he feels very ashamed because he thinks he's been left behind because he's not a man because he's you know he's just a child he can't fight he's not strong enough so i think that it kind of also internalizes all that and but at the same time he has to be strong because he has to be you know in charge and he, he needs to show his father that he did his job that he protected the women and the, and the group and I think that added to the uh, very traditional structured society that the water tribes in general seem to have because the northern tribe is like this as well. So like men fight and women take care of the home and everything like that. So he he really grows up kind of like channeled into this image of having to be the strong man and having to, you know, stand up against evil and protect everyone else and then he finds himself surrounded by people who are naturally gifted and special mm. Um, mm, so he's yeah. always especially, trying yeah yeah especially because sorry so sorry go ahead go ahead um especially as you know his his sister katara is so strong um when she starts to find a find herself and um he's sort of you, you notice him kind of think, no, but I'm supposed to protect you. <laughs> like you sort of see that internal dialogue happening. Um, and, and like you said, it is, he's grown up in this like very sort of like a certain structure. And, and that's, you can see it constantly weighing on him and I'm not quite understanding where, where he fits in at where it comes to where he thinks he, how he should be. Uh, and then how he, how he naturally is. And that, his his strengths might not look like what he's been presented uh, with what they should be, but they're not any less. They're actually great and needed. Yes, yeah, and yeah. there's even that episode where he. Oh, in fact, it, it, I think it's the episode where he goes off to learn um, from the uh, swordmaster, and the others are kind of left alone, and they they realize how important he is <laughs> to the group. I like um, that. That yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I like that about the show where, like, I feel as I was watching it, you know, sometimes, well, sometimes, a lot of times in anime, you get basically filler episodes. And yeah. in this show, there's no, I feel that like there's no filler episodes. Every, every every episode progresses the story and every episode takes the opportunity to progress, like, character in some way. So even as you had um, uh, Sokka off on his own adventure, that was then used to show the importance he has to the group while mm. he was away so i really yeah. like that and um if we we spoke about one sibling let's go to the other sibling and uh katara like i'm interested to know if you had any different feelings about katara at the beginning uh, and then at the end or if it was just like a yeah consistent thing with with either of you i think i mean i 
I think I've always, uh, I, I, it's a character that I've always liked. It's she's not my favorite character in the series, but um, I liked uh, her evolution. I like where she started from, and then like how how we, you were mentioning before how she matures from this state of uh, grief and pain, and and also um, uh, I because she she really grows up she really becomes a woman at, at the end of this even if she's still very young but you, you can see how she she's already very determined and she yes. she never you know she, she never stops she of course she finds uh you know um there's points in her story in which she feels like she's not enough she's not going to be able to, to be a good vendor especially i think that uh the 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 issue that Saka might have of like not feeling strong. She has the same thing comparison to Aang because they basically learn water bending together. Because uh, she knows just a few tricks, and and Aang needs to learn. So they they start learning a few things while traveling to the North, Northern Water Tribe, and and he picks up on it immediately. And even if we later find out that Katara also picks up on waterbending incredibly quickly when she has a master. Uh, but at the beginning, she feels very inferior to comparison to, to, to Aang because he's, he's the avatar. So he's, you know, just spontaneously doing things that take her a lot of time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like naturally she, adept. Yeah, exactly. And it's very frustrating for her, just like uh, it is very frustrating for Sokka to be not magically... Uh, skilled as the others so um i like how she she goes like she wants to be strong and she fights for her strength and she she never uh surrenders even when later on she has the whole she meets the hag and she learns about blood bending and she could even though she's she's she, she has this choice of wanting like the true intense power that she could get from blood bending but she wants to be strong in her way and like you know her morals and her ethic is always guiding her and i and i really like that i think it's really it's really cool and i think especially going back to the idea that this is like a kids show i like her, how i think katara can be a very nice uh and if role model is the right word but yeah it's, she's a very good model and a very good uh i think uh idea of a young woman or a young girl who fights for what she thinks is right and what she and wanting to be independent and strong for herself i think that's a really uh, good example mm, yeah i think with like all three of the sort of like main um group there's a lot of i feel like there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of things they're constantly burying and that they've had to deal with and, and they're just working through like a lot of feelings and yes. and a lot of trauma and I feel like Katara has this this need to be the mature one. Yeah, that comes through a lot. Yeah. Um, so while Sokka needs to be the the protector and the leader, uh, Katara feels like she she has to be the mature one. She's very motherly. She feels. I think she she feels like she has to be the mother to everyone else. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of dealing with with her her loss. And um, but just going along her journey, it feels it feels very 
fluid and it is just like this really nice journey that she goes on not not nice as in it but like the feeling of the journey it's just nice to follow along with her and it flows really well um don't know if that was written on purpose because she's on waterbender and <laughs> you know the <laughs> story flows like the river <laughs> <laughs> but it does have that that sort of like sense to it and um it's like a very natural p- process and like going back to her like feeling like she needs to be the mature one it's funny when she's just just a kid and she behaves like just a kid whether it's like her and soccer having an argument or it's her like being like I need to find someone to fall in love with and <laughs> um you know and and it, you just have these moments where just like just just her being a kid and it's really I think it happens with all of them really it's like they, they've got so much weight on them mm. but actually yeah. they're just children and I feel like Katara is like the responsible one and has those moments a bit less than the others definitely yeah I feel like Aang has the most <laughs> yeah <laughs> watching it is like hanging out with a a a younger sibling when you when you watch the show Aang is that younger sibling and it sometimes yeah, yeah. feels like yeah, yours yeah <laughs> <laughs> what, what I do like about uh Katara as well is uh, like in her journey particularly with like the the hurt she has uh, over her mother and then tracking down the man responsible and how because uh, like Erin mentioned the blood bending which is the one like power in the show that just creeped me out like the idea of that um, and she makes a decision like not to not to use that but then when she's looking for the man that uh, killed her mother she kind of crosses that line. And she goes to the point at which, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take revenge, and she she pulls herself back from that. And I love how they did that, not just because it it's showing like someone being able to take, I guess, the high road. And after she's seen, you know, the the, the man responsible and has the power to sort of take him out, but doesn't. But then also, it's not a, it's not a moment where it's like, oh, I forgive you, and I'm I'm like she's saying I'm I'm taking a bigger man. She says like I think she actually says I um I can't forgive him. So like, yeah, she's saying she's she, never gonna forgive. Yeah, yeah, like she and it's a real question of whether I did the right thing. And again, to the maturity of this show, it's not like black and white. It's kind of this gray uh, gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like how they did that on on those on those two points. Yeah. And, and everything's about it's not about being good or bad it's about growth <laughs> yes yeah yeah um so we are gonna uh, i want to there's a couple there's a few more people i want to discuss before we get to growth and zuko and iroh um so i just want to quickly mention about um i guess the well Zuko's the main kind of the main villain but then in season two uh, or book two as they're referred to uh you meet zuko's sister azula and her friends, I don't know if that applies with Azula, but I'm going to say friends, um, May Associates. and Ty Lee. Associates, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah her associates, May and, and Ty Lee. And particularly with uh, Azula, because in a, in, we've discussed this in past episodes, the idea of um, sort of, I guess if Zuko started off as the villain, let's say, and and ends as you know on the the side of the the heroes, you have this idea. If you're going to have a um, a bad character sort of be redeemed, you then have to show someone worse 
And when Azula comes in, she's worse. She's like, she's like pure, I want to say evil because we're talking about kids, but <laughs> she's, she's just like, uh, just, yeah, honed in bad. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bad. But again, the arc and the arc she takes is definitely not a positive one, but I feel it's an important one for the story. Like the way they show her just all in for like uh, like power and father's affection and how she uses uh, fear, um, particularly among sort of May and Tai Lee and how that leads to betrayal and eventually a effective mental uh, breakdown of Azula by the end. So I think she's a really interesting character on, on so many levels. Uh, uh, what did you think? Actually, this to my point earlier about like we got a bunch of questions I actually got two questions uh on azula uh one from uh Kota kitty on instagram who says do you feel that azula got what she does deserved in the end and the second question is from uh linny 381 on instagram asks would azula have been different if raised by uncle iroh or her mum uh do either of you want to tackle either of those questions I'll, I'll let you start first because I, I, I begin all the others. Yeah. I actually cannot remember what happens. <laughs> but I will say that anyone being raised by Uncle Iroh will turn out different. Yeah, different, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I could definitely say that. So um, to re- refresh your memory, so Azula uh, essentially is like, like chasing down uh, Zuko and, and ends in... Like the final episode ends up battling uh, Zuko in like the what's it called the Agni Kai Slayer fighting, and um, Katara is there. So uh, Azula kind of takes down. Well, not kind of. She yeah, she uses her <laughs> lightning to take down uh, Zuko during the fight, and it's then left to uh, Katara to battle uh, Azula. And Katara, who at this point is just like mastered her waterbending uses that to like amazing effect to um capture um and like literally chain up uh, azula and that's when she has the mental breakdown but then before then because it's kind of like a a path to that where uh in an earlier episode uh may and tai lee actually turn against uh, azula um, as she's chasing down uh, Saka and uh, his his group. And then I think that leads her down the path to kind of uh, a mental breakdown by the end of this of the show. Uh, what were you going to say, Erin? For me, it's very interesting because I like how, uh, as you were saying, Azula's behavior has always been driven by uh, a lot of anger. And she, I, I think this, this hunger for attention and the the need to be you know her father's precious uh princess and powerful and strong and she she wants power because i think she lacks uh she's we don't really know um i i would like to say that i i'm sure that she would have been a great daughter had her mom been there for her or uncle ira but i don't know because we don't really get to see she's always been we know that she's always been um evil or different from since she was a child and her mother was worried about that so we don't really know exactly when that began and what sparked that into her but definitely i'm sure her mother loved her very much but she was very worried about her and so uh, azula grows up and there's kind of like detached from her mother and she always feels like she 
she doesn't have that attention and that love. And maybe that is also what drives her more towards her father, uh, who's this very strong and uh, definitely not loving figure. So she, mm. she, she learns that respect and honor and appreciation comes from fear and strength and just being an imposing figure on everyone else. And this is what she does with her friends or sidekicks or associates, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and just like how she pressures them into just, just it's a very, it's a very abusive relationship in like, I think all of her relationship towards her brother. Uh, she's always using the fact that, you know, uh, she's her father's uh, preferred child and all that. And then towards her friends, she's always, pushing them to do things because otherwise you know their relationship is going to end and she's not going to be supporting them anymore and things like that and towards the end i really like how she basically just collapses under the weight of her own power when she she's going to be uh, uh, become fire lord and she just basically fires all of her team and all the people that work for her because she suspects that everyone's actually you know going to attack her her and she's going to you know there's going to be a big coup the time everyone's going to take her place and she she basically gets rid of everyone and by the end she's alone because she can't trust anyone because she's always been you know jealous and competitive and angry about everything and towards everything and even just like you were saying at the end when Zuko is actually doing great against her, and the only way she has to uh, fight him back is that she tries to uh, kill uh, Katara, and Zuko steps in the way. So she, we can see how she's always she doesn't give pure and beautiful relationship any weight. She needs to be feared, and she needs to be uh, respected because of that, and that's what yeah. drives her to the end. So I wish I could say, I, I yeah, I think maybe. If she had had a beautiful, happy childhood full of tea with Uncle Iroh or like with her mother, maybe <laughs> that's all she maybe, needed. Yeah, maybe she would have been different. I think if I don't, I don't know if she got what she deserved at the end. It's difficult to evaluate that, but I think she definitely built her own destruction. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, yeah, I also I don't know if she got what she deserved and and yeah this is the thing about the the way they do the characters because even though she was so bad it wasn't just bad for bad sake so like you just explained there was there was a reason and the show like through flashbacks and just the present day relationships that she was having you can see why she was like that so I felt that the the ending was a a result of that upbringing and I mean, deserved in the sense of sort of the consequences of how she was, yeah. yeah, how she was, but not not like deserved, like, yeah, you should go down, like, because she was, yeah, she was like abused um, sort of mentally by sort of uh, her father who, you know, in, in the flashbacks, you saw how, how Zuko, who cared, um, was treated. So she saw that as mm. an example of how not to be if you want your yeah. sort of uh, father's love. So yeah, I wouldn't say deserved, but sort of uh, that's how it was going to end <laughs> for her. I want to yeah. make a point that, again, children, like how old is she? <laughs> I, think she's, I think you're like 13. 13 I, think yeah. she's a bit, I think she's a bit older than yeah. Endgame Katara, maybe a couple of years older than Katara. So like... 
I don't, she definitely doesn't deserve anything. She's a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. I, like, I, without going too much into like Zuko's Zuko and Uncle Iroh, um, we're coming to that next. Yeah, their dad is to- like yeah. toxic. Yeah, she probably like, deserved a better father and a happier childhood. And in lack of that, but she's you know, still in her childhood. That's the thing. Yeah. So there's not like I um she there's always a chance that like she's still so infantile in her her um stage of developing like your like concrete social like social development um mm. which generally happens around the same time you go through puberty is when you you know you can have a really traumatizing childhood and, it, and yeah you'll carry it and it affects you but the the relationships and how you learn to approach relationships in in that that uh like puberty stage is just as impactful so you know it's kind of like just in a state where it's going to be hard without without help like yeah yeah she's still a kid even even at that point she's still she's still so young and so (laughs) like if we if you think about it zuka as well at the beginning we, you know, he's he's yeah. evil. He's trying to capture and possibly kill the avatar. So, like, they, the the point in which the story starts for Zuko is not that different from where Azula is when we meet her. They both want to be acknowledged and respected and be powerful yeah. and to bring honor and, and uh, greatness to their nation. Uh, yeah, and yeah. their father. They're like both yeah, of them. Exactly. Just really, like the main thing in their drive is that they just. It's so following the, the, the reasoning, then Zuko would have deserved the same end that she did. So I would like to to, to think that there is a redemption in the years. You know that Azula learns and improves, but it's that that's that's also the the beautiful part of the story that we don't really need to know what everything goes on to be. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay, I'll say the rest for Zuko, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> we kind of very okay. much, like, weave into... In, in it's it's leading into this. This is what it's come to. Um, so, yes. So, Zuko and Uncle Iroh. Um, so, I... So, I'm, I'm not going to say there definitely isn't, but I will challenge anyone to show an example of a better redemption arc than Zuko in this story, because when he enters the show uh like we mentioned he is very much the villain and he's just out to take down avatar capture him kill him whatever to get his father's father's love his his place back his honor um for himself personally and um for his nation and he's traveling with uncle iroh who is just not taken seriously by zuko or it seems like anyone around him but Zuko just goes on this journey and it's it's so it's so well done because he so he starts like I say he starts off as the, as the villain and he slowly and that's the key like he slowly kind of makes his way over to the other side if you if you will but it's a it's a journey that's just like paved with mistakes and I feel a big theme about uh this, this show is like failure and Zuko fails often and he sometimes he learns, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, he he often makes the wrong decision, but he eventually sort of sees what his actions have 
um, how his actions have impacted the world around him, the people around him, and he makes amends and he, he comes around. And I feel like that journey is just so well done. And it's in big part to Uncle Iroh, who is that person that uh, Zula didn't have. And if it wasn't for him, Zuko could be another Azulo, but Uncle Iroh, who is just, I think for me, Uncle Iroh is the best character. Yeah. And I, <laughs> uh, I, I want to be him because he him is, so much. Yeah. he is a picture of contentment. And I just I need that. Like, I don't know if it's the tea, if I need to start, <laughs> if I need to start playing uh, Pi Show or where mm-hmm. I'll, like, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> wherever, because he's just so, so content and yeah. I'm going to let you talk about him because I will just like take over the rest of this uh, show uh, talking about it. we do have a couple of questions on him but I'll get I'll let you let you guys uh, speak and then we'll get to those questions I'm literally trying not to word vomit right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love Uncle Iroh he was like the, like the characters are written so well but Uncle Iroh is like this level it's like he's been through it like he's yes He's a veteran <laughs> and he just got to this point in life where he's like, ah, this is stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he, he's, he's learned and um, he's watched his brother like turn into this, I don't know <laughs> what to call him, <laughs> this villain. Um, mm. And just been like, no, nah, like life, there's so much in life. There's so much beauty. There's so much there's so much to enjoy like why all the fighting why like just he's so chill like but with also like he's constantly teaching uh yes yeah in like such a like mr miyagi way (laughs) um and oh he's just he's such a great character watching so i recently only watched uh the first season um the first book um, and I, like just watching all of it, I was like, "Damn, I really love Uncle Iroh, and I really love Zuko, and I just love this whole dynamic they have." And just like, he's just so so much goodness in there. Oh, yeah, a fango over in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, for me, it's the same. I I love Uncle Iroh. As, as he's definitely one of my favorites. It's like my my number one is Toph, and then it's Iroh. Uh, my, okay. They're my true loves. Uh, I adore them completely. I like how they... Uh, it's very interesting because they also interact with each other and they they are very different, but they're also very similar in some ways. And I, I love Iroh. I love how, um, how, like, how influential, but also very... He's, he's so influential, but he's also not pressuring towards, like, Zuko and uh i i like how funny but balanced it is and i like um i'm not gonna go too much into it because i i know there are those questions and i know that the things that i would like to say are like part of the questions but i i i, I completely agree with everything that's been said he's 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 so well written and for, mm. for this as well uh re-watching the series just now uh he i already liked him very much but i've grown to love him even more uh re-watching the series yeah, and I just wanted to pick out something you said about because he he never pressured Zuko. There were kind of mm. moments where he did kind of get upset and uh, maybe even angry, but for the most part, he he allowed Zuko to learn by himself mm. and find his own path. He like he never said like this is what you have to do. 
and like yeah. dragged him. He even like there was a moment when Zuko said, "You know, I just need to go off on my own." And he's like, "Cool." Well, he didn't say cool, but he <laughs> he let let him do that and and find his own path. And I think that then led to. Um, so I was going to say my I think my personal favorite episode, definitely one of my favorite episodes, was the um, Zuko alone episode yeah where which is just like a a character study on zuko where he he goes to this um uh this like village in the earth kingdom and and sees like the the effects that the war having and it's the first time i think he's he had seen the war outside of his own nation in terms of like it's always been put to him that this is like a great war and we're doing a, a great service to the world but he sees like what's happened um, with like just regular people and then how they treat him when they find out who he is and I think that episode also goes into flashbacks that show the relationship between like um, him, his father, Azula and, and puts like sort of great context into that um, so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll drop these questions in then, so we've got a uh, question from Kwai Prince MH on Instagram who asks, uh, do you think Uncle Iroh's character would have been different if his son didn't die during the war? I'll start with that one. Erin, uh, you said you wanted to say uh, some things about that. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question because some some things in the, in the series make us, make us think that the death of his son is the, the changing point for him. But I actually think that maybe, I mean, he would have probably been a different person because something like that just destroys your life and changes you completely in so many ways but um when we get to the um the firebending monsters episode when we find out the about the dragons and the fact that they were the first firebenders and then iroh uh, supposedly killed the last one and then we find out that they actually are alive and then he battled them to be recognized by them as a true like a you know, respectable firebender and one of the uh, masters of his uh, his craft. And that definitely, I, we don't really have a timing for that, but I'm quite sure that happened before his son's death, like when he's still probably in a younger stage of his life, or at least already adult, but not death of his son. It hasn't happened yet. And so we know that since then he was already powerful and uh strong-minded and like and he was always looking out for the health and the good of the world so like he 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 is always he i think he's always been uncle ira as we know him probably in different ways and probably different uh hues of that but i i think that the death of his son surely affected him and probably moved him forward into this path of acceptance and love and understanding of what are the deeper reasons, but also the fact that he's part of the White Lotus, uh, which I also think precedes the death of his son. Um, he would not be part of that group if he wasn't the wise and smart and brilliant person that we know already in this room. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I hadn't thought I, of that. I think they do hint to Uncle Iroh's character really being like his his deep like character like that is just who he is and I don't think he'd be different like he wouldn't be a completely different character it might be uh it might have taken him longer 
to get to his like state of contentment, but he'd still be the same person and he'd still see how bad <laughs> the Fire Nation had been. And what I think would be different is uh, Zuko. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. because Uncle Iroh lost his son, uh, it then sort of open like opened up a space for Zuko to then like more more attention to be be placed on Zuko. Um and because he with him if he yeah, had his son. Yeah, exactly. So it, it like, you know, allowed that bond to be stronger. Like maybe Uncle Iroh would have would have looked after Zuko anyway, but then Zuko would have had then in his head like to compete with with Uncle Iroh's son as well. And what Zuko gets from Uncle Iroh is actually uh, he spends loads of time seeking approval from his father, but he's already got approval from a father figure. Got a father, yeah, yeah. Because Zuko really does become like a a son to Iroh. Uh, I think he mentions that, and yeah, I just I love the like I said the redemption arc of Zuko um, that is facilitated by Iroh and just the relationship that they have. So you have moments in that in that show where that relationship is tested, and like I just like felt that like the I think the first real one was um, uh, at the end of season two when they're in uh, uh, Basing Se and uh, that fight between sort of uh, Zuko, Azula, Uncle Iroh, uh, Katara, Ang. Um, and Katara and Ang are, are, you know, coming from their own like arc, and and Ang having to learn to sort of let go of Katara so he can achieve the the spiritual state he needs to um, get his his uh, you know full power avatar state. But you have the the moment in terms of Zuko and Uncle Iroh where it's the the choice. So in the lead up to that um, sort of final showdown, you have Zuko sort of seemingly on the road to redemption and finding peace so they've got this new life in Basing Se uh everything seems okay they've got a tea shop and you feel that Zuko has left that need for seeking his father's approval behind then comes in Azula who essentially offers him a way back uh to his father's side and he takes it and he betrays Iroh and I feel like the moment works on that kind of two levels because it's one it, it turns the the tide of the battle um so you've got Zuko then joining Azula against uh Aang and Katara and Uncle Iroh sort of protecting um Aang and Katara while they escape but it's that deeper level of like Zuko has betrayed his uncle uh, and because you, by that point you just like love Uncle Iroh he has also betrayed us or at least I felt that me personally, that might just be me. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. So you really feel that, and then um, that then kind of led to one of my favorite, not moments because it's a, it's a, over a few episodes, but when Iroh is taken prisoner, and the other thing I love about Iroh's character, he's that character who, you know, he's kind of because he's sort of he's happy, he's not quite bumbling, but he he just he's chilled, um, he's sort of like I guess rounded. He's a rounded character. And when he's taken prisoner, all the Fire Nation kind of, they take him for a joke and they're just like, oh, this guy, look, look at him, he's hes lost the will and he's scrambling for food on the floor and, you know, we'll just make fun of him. All the while, this guy is training. And then you've got that moment where he's like, takes off uh, his his shirt or his, his robe or whatever. And he's just like all muscle. <laughs> like this guy never let his 
uh, spirit get broken uh, yeah. at all. And he's he's like you've got him physically in that prison, but mentally he's out. Like he's never he was never in there. <laughs> His body just needed to catch up, and then he escapes. And then I just love that whole sequence. Yeah, and I think that definitely goes back to what um, Aaron said um, about him, like being uh, having that will in him, um, and and when we were just talking about his character not being different because he he's always had that 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 strength, that strong will in him, and that's just him, <laughs> no matter what situation you put him in. I agree, and I think that actually uh, the, the 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 moment in which Zuka realizes that his uncle loves him no matter how messed up he is and how many times he did the wrong thing and like how he betrayed him he the, the, the moment in which he realizes that he is enough for his uncle even if they don't agree on everything i think that is one of the together with him seeing the results of the war on poor people and just like normal people and then realizing how much like that he he's fighting for the love of his father and respect but he's actually just such a, a bad and is is not someone he looks up to anymore and mm-hmm. how much actually how much support he gets from Iro even if they don't agree even if they're very different even if he's you know his uncle seems like a a silly goof and he's, and he's a true warrior and so there is no way they can get along but i think the moment in which he realizes how strong and important that relationship is for him that's also one of like his big turning points definitely um so then the second question we had on um iro is from uh linny 381 um who says do you think uncle iro would be a better emperor than zuko's father zuko's father uh ozai and would the fire nation be ruled differently and have been less of an enemy to ang um does anyone want to take that hmm an interesting question it's, it's a bit difficult um i think that iroh would be a very good leader but i don't think he wants to be a leader yeah and i think it's kind of like if if you don't mind the comparison it's, kind of, it's like the Tyrion of avatar so like Tyrion in game of thrones we all want to see him rule the kingdoms but he's not meant to be the king he's the best the best hand of the king that you could have and i think that Iroh kind of covers that, like he's he's wise and strong and determined. And I think he could do good for the Fire Nation and for like the world in general. But I don't think he wants that power. And I don't think he, I think he really does want a serene and balanced and normal life. So he would be very happy to, as I'm sure it is in the future of the, the, the story for Zuko, he's always going to be there for him. But I don't think he would want to rule. Yeah, I he would definitely. Agree. I mean, he would definitely be a good ruler. I think, and I think it would make a difference. Uh, he he would have made a difference in how Ang's story um, is with the Fire Nation because uh, there were surely you know there were surely be struggles and fights, and I don't think he would be just accepting a hundred percent from the beginning, uh, but. Uh, definitely his his strive for balance and good for the world would definitely influence the story in a different way. I like that. And I was actually just having a, not this conversation, but a sort of related conversation yesterday about the the type of people, this was in the context of politics, but the type of people that uh, are attracted to 
political leadership and you don't always get the best people. And I think to your point, uh, Erin, like the type of person that uh, Iroh is, uh, that we see, he's not attracted to the power, the position, so he wouldn't necessarily want it. Like Ozai is the type of person that is uh, attracted to that um, position. But yeah, I, I do agree. I think he'd make a um, better leader because he understood the the balance between the four nations and that you can learn something from all of them and not what Ozai was doing and that we need to impart our will on everyone else and take over. So yeah, I think for that reason, um, yeah, he would definitely make a better leader. Uh, so I wanted to uh, just give a moment to any anyone to shout out any other characters. I know, Erin, uh, uh, you mentioned Tafu, I think definitely meant, uh, needs a mention, but I would also like to say, just give a shout out to Momo um, because he he is the underrated character in this show because he is such an important... By the way, I'm talking about like Aang's... Pet, what kind of animal is he, by the way? Uh, Does anyone know? Flying monkey thing? Yeah. Fly, yeah. Uh, I, he, I'm sure that... Uh, flying lemur, I think. Lemur, they, yeah. That's okay. it, flying lemur, yeah. yeah. So I just want to highlight the, the profoundness of this character because <laughs> Momo... <laughs> Momo is all about the now. He's all present. Like whenever he sees food, he just goes for it. There's no, there's no thought to like. I think Momo, <laughs> in a way, is what Sokka would like to be. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, that's true. Actually, he's because he's just like. There's no thought to like the future or what, how this could go wrong. There's no thought to like past experience. There's just the now, and I think. That is so important for everyone to remember. We should all be like Momo. That's my uh, that's my soapbox moment. Erin, uh, what what were you gonna say about Toph? Uh, I I I really like her. I think um, I love how she's in a, in a way she's. I mean, she is a kid. I think she's also younger than the other three main characters. But uh, probably through her disability, the fact that she cannot see. If anyone here is still listening to this and still hasn't watched Tough is Blind. <laughs> it's too late. It's too, yeah. <laughs> it's too, late, yeah. <laughs> it's too late for you. Tough is Blind. And, but she's still, uh, we meet, meet her in a moment in her life in which she has already achieved uh, what the others are fighting for. She already is an incredible strong bender. She's probably the strongest, um, the strongest uh, earthbender in the world. At, at that point and no one knows because she has a secret identity and she fights in fight pits and she's 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 so edgy and cool <laughs> i love this yeah, so um but i like how she's very she's also very humble i mean she's she has her bragging moments and she's uh very you know she's very harsh with the others at times but uh i like how she's a very uh tough but a supportive teacher to Aang and, and she uh, I like her the difference between how Katara is very loving and motherly and she's like no you have to do this because this is what you yeah, have to yeah. do to learn and so you know it's <laughs> this gonna, is it this is what you have to be yeah. yeah you're gonna be sweaty and you're gonna hurt and that's you know that's the way and I think that really represents how she's a, an earthbender so she's so strong and centered and uh, determined and I and I really like that how she's very much a kid because she's very silly and she can be very playful at times but mm. she's also very much more similar to Iroh as in like she's she has her very funny and silly moments but she is so much wiser and so much uh 
more than the eye meets just when you look at this tiny little garbage so so (laughs) short and tiny and you know she's blind and everyone just you know her her family just treats her uh, as as a princess and she's she's so weak and everything and she also feels bad about the fact that uh, she's never really truly been herself with them and um i i I just love her so much And you know what I like about the way they handled her character? By the way, actually, I just want to say, because we talked about character arcs, I I think I'd argue that uh, Toph is the one character that doesn't actually change. Um, And it it works. It works for her character, but she's kind of the same character at the beginning at the end, but she kind of opens up a little bit. But I thought that was an interesting her as a earthbender. And she's, like you say, she's very solid in, in, in those terms. I think she's but, already gone through what the others go through during the series. Through, like she has already reached that side state of like enlightenment as her powers and acceptance. are concerned. And then she learns to feel more. Mm-hmm. As in, yeah. in, you know, the contrary, the others who are very full of feelings, but not of powers. And so they, they learn to be powerful while she learns to be, uh, weak in a way and she learns to feel and to share and, vulnerable and, and to and understand yeah. that like her feelings towards her family are okay and, and she needs she, she it's okay for her to want to be loved and to be in a family and all of that yeah yeah no I like that and I was going to say also that uh, I, I like the way they dealt with her blindness because in terms of the like the creators the, the writers because they there were jokes about it, but it was, it was never like a disparagingly so. Uh, and it it kind of, it, it made her feel like part of the group. And I remember there was an episode where I think she was getting in trouble because she was she was pulling the scams, the, uh, the, she was cheating on the bets. And um, uh, Saka and also I think Katara, they would, because they were wanted posters of um, of Toph and uh, Saka brought one over and he just pulled out this poster of, of Toph, put it in her face and he's like, what is this? And she goes, it sounds like a piece of paper. <laughs> it's like, I'm blind. And then Katara does the same thing later on. He's like... I'm blind. Like, why, why do you keep showing me these, pa- these pieces of paper? I don't know what's on it. I just love those moments where they kind of, yeah, sort of wrote jokes to her disability, but in a sort of, in a funny and not disparaging way. Yeah. And in a sort of like, um, yeah, that's, that's happened a lot kind of way. Yeah. Like yeah. When you forget <laughs> your, your own experiences aren't everyone else's. <laughs> And sometimes yes. you're like, I've done it to friends um, that uh, have uh, certain disabilities. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and you feel like such an idiot. <laughs> 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 you're just so, and I think it, you're so used to, to you, what you experience that you, you forget to adapt for other people's experiences. And um, yeah. And yeah, and then especially especially when Sokka does it, because he kind of is like that with everyone. <laughs> it's not like he's being like he he will do stupid things like that to everyone and not not consider not not quite like think about how they might think or see like or or like uh, respond to something. And it's like okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! It's yeah. It's just again so well done. 
Um, so there's a bunch more that we could talk about. Um, some of them I think we can discuss when we get to these questions. But uh, I just wanted to see if anyone had any memorable episodes or moments in the show uh, that they particularly uh, enjoyed. Uh, Tazzy, I don't know how well your memory is working at the moment. Was there any kind of uh, episode that stood out to you for any reason? Um, it's very early on. And I think it's like, it's it's like a very like, this is Iro. <laughs> this is what you can expect <laughs> from this whole series. Um, and it's <laughs> when they find like the hot spring. Um, and he's like, let's just take a bath here. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so chilled out. And then, um, yeah. Yeah, just that. And that then he hot. gets captured, but he's yeah, yeah. really chill about it. It's just and like, he's, just, <laughs> he's just like... Yeah, because he's just talking with his captors. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it was really, it's just, yeah, it's just like ultimate chillness. And you're like, yeah, this is Iroh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about you, Erin? For me, I mean, I, I love, as you mentioned before, the Zuko alone episode is, is really beautiful and it's really deep. And I really like, I, I, I definitely like the base, like, turning points episode. So, like, Zuko and his episode, I really like uh, the episode in which Sokka uh, goes to the Swordmaster and learns his craft and, like, how everyone kind of feels lost without him. And I, yeah, there's there's so many, I, there's so many little moments. I love the episode, uh, what is the, the Tales of Basing Sarah, when we get to see, like, all the l- tiny little things that happen. Uh, yeah. And everyone has their own small episode inside the episode. And I love the part of uh, uh, that Ira has in that one. There's so many... Uh, beautiful moments uh but yeah i think definitely zuko alone and the episode in which saka gets to learn sword um sword fighting and a- anything with tough in general i think the moment in which tough yeah. learns, uh, <laughs> uh metal bending is is really cool <laughs> cool yeah there are just so many um okay I'll, I'll throw a few out um i did like the uh the episode where uh Sokka first meets Suki and the Kyoshi yes. Warriors because uh, I felt that was like I think it was maybe the first step of, of him on his journey to be humbled when you know you refer to them as like a bunch of girls and they sort of easily dispatch him in their uh, in their combat um, and yeah just Zuko alone uh, again and there was a, just like a sort of really good dialogue moment in terms of like how to show character through dialogue. There was a moment in that uh, episode where Zuko is approached by a bunch of like, uh, I guess the kind of rogue um, Earth Kingdom, um, I guess they were criminals or something like that. Anyway. They're and soldiers. I think they're soldiers. They were soldiers. Yeah, but, yeah, they're, but they're kind of like, like corrupt. Yeah, so. bullies, bully corrupted soldiers, yeah. And then... Um, I think the there were some kids nearby and was, one of them threw something at the soldiers and they thought it was uh they thought it was Zuko and the way they uh approached him where I think he said um oh, I'm trying to remember the exact uh the exact line where yeah they they approached him and they were like who did that and Zuko was just like no they asked him was it you who threw that and he just said no and then they were like, oh, well, who threw it? And he said, no, <laughs> I don't know. And it's just like short short and sweet. And it just told you about his character in terms of like, he wasn't interested in having any discussion with these guys, but he also didn't feel any threat that he needed to like 
direct his attention to them as he spoke. And I feel it's just a good way to use like minimal dialogue to show character in different situations. Um, yeah, I could, there's a whole bunch of episodes. Uh, yeah, I, I can go through a list, but I won't do that <laughs> right now. But I will bring in, um, as we go to uh, questions, one more question from uh, Tari, who is of the London Graphic Novel Network. And he asked, what would you like to see from a future story in the Avatar world, like even beyond Korra's time? Erin, uh, do you want to have a go at that? I want to see more. Yeah, what I kind mean, of story would you like to see? I, I guess I would probably like to see maybe something from the past. Because uh, I think that with Korra, we uh we go i mean there's it's it's not so much later in time but the world has changed already so much and i feel like a follow-up to that would be very it would have to be very modern it would have to be very much more futuristic than what we've seen up to now because the change like a steampunkish vibe that we get from Korra's series is very very strong so i guess that if i had to uh choose something i would maybe I would maybe like to see something from the past, uh, so before Einstein, uh, just as a, a different way, maybe how the world was uh, before the war, and maybe yeah, like the like two or three avatars before Aang. Mm. How about you, Tazzy? I think I think I'm gonna uh, just agree. <laughs> I, I like I just pretty much agree with everything that I think. Yeah, like a pre previous avatar, but it'd definitely be back in time rather than forward in time because it, it probably like really a single like story. a movie type of thing, like a single, yeah. not not a whole series. I like I'd like either just like one season, or like a movie type thing on one avatar doing like a Kiyoshi, like a, the story of Kiyoshi or something like that. Yeah, I think for me it'd be cool to have like a, a a series where we kind of like go through a load of uh, the past avatars leading up to Ang, where they have like one or two episodes each. Oh yes, okay, that'd be fun. And then you just kind of like span across this this time and like the changes that happen between between each um, each avatar leading up to the Fire Nations War, and just sort of like how things influenced and yeah i like that okay i'm kind of yeah i'm kind of with that as well like the past avatar i was thinking because when uh i'm currently watching legend of Korra, and it's interesting to see how you bring in technology and then see how sort of the whole airbending and avatar um the importance of an avatar kind of fits in with that new world and i was just as i was watching i was just wondering what about if you take it further to like people are so dependent on technology that maybe they don't even regard the avatar uh, mm-hmm. anymore and how that would that would fit. So that might be an interesting one as well. Yeah. Or a spin-off uh, <laughs> where we just follow <laughs> Appa and Momo. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I like, like that. The, like the Appa when we, when we see him after he's been captured and it goes... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm telling you, Momo. Whole season with them too. I'd love it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm there for that. That is. Yeah, 
Momo is just yeah we we should all be like Momo um so uh, we've got a couple more questions to end on but I just wanted to make sure that we uh make some time to check in with our guests and find out uh, any projects that she is up to yeah so Erin if you let us know anything you've got coming up and where we can find those so I'm not exactly sure when this is airing, uh, depending on when this goes live. <laughs> uh, there is um, a, a very big project coming up uh, the 26th of August. So this might be already on when this is released. It's a Kickstarter project. It's called Tales from, Tales from the Quarantine, uh, which is a big anthology uh, with lead and very like big names and also lots of big names but lots of very cool talented and skilled uh comic artists uh that is coming out uh kickstarted this week it's a charity ontology and it's going to be one page is uh, each page is going to be done by a different team or a different artist and it's all yeah, like lots of stories about quarantine and different lives and different stories and there's people from 60 different countries taking part in this and everything that we earn is going to except for the things that the money that we use to print it of course is going to go to charity so it's going to be a very very important very good uh for a lot of people hopefully and we're very proud of what we're doing and so that's that will be uh on kickstarter from the 26th of august and another thing that I, I would like to plug that is um, very much connected to what we're talking about is a uh, an art book, a fanzine that I'm part of that is called Dangerous Lady, uh, Women of Avatar Zine. And it's an art book. Uh, and the zine it contains both illustrations and uh, stories by international artists from everywhere in the world. And we have... Uh, already closed to pre-orders and it's already been uh, it, it's already in the making but there will be a leftover sale in I think about like a month or so so uh, it's all centered about uh, around the women of Avatar and also Korra both uh, series uh, and it's really beautiful and it's really well done and I'm really proud of what we've done and so I suggest checking out Dangerous Ladies on Twitter and Tumblr, where you can find more information and you can keep an eye on there for when we will open the sales. Yay. <laughs> um, they both sound amazing. Uh, so we'll make sure we get the links for those in the show notes. But yeah, so we'll move on to more questions. So the first question is, Tari of London Graphic Novel Network uh, at London Comics on Twitter. Kayoshi is my favorite avatar and her point of view is slightly different from the other avatars. How much do you think an avatar's nation of origin should influence them? Do you have a responsibility respect to respect all four nations' perspectives when they make decisions or should they stay true to themselves? and what their native element nature represents. This is difficult. <laughs> the, yeah, I guess the, the idea of the avatar is is balance, really. Mm -hmm. So I guess whoever is the avatar, no matter what nation they come from, they should be respectful of all the other nations. 
mm-hmm. and I guess that is the the difficulties like how do you yeah how do you separate yourself from your own nation to then serve other nations so yeah that's a that's a tough one so mm-hmm. that's a, yeah it's really different I mean I guess it shouldn't in a in an ideal world it shouldn't yeah <laughs> I think that the point of the avatar is to be impartial and to be you know, a representation of every element and therefore every nation. And I guess, you know, just, just like Aang struggles with making peace with some of the ideology or like some of the things that he needs to do to become the avatar, just like letting go of loved ones and things like that. I think uh, each avatar will struggle with different parts of being avatar. Uh, and I think that's what, that's what make, uh, that avatar themselves and special in their own way. So I, I, I agree that they need to be uh, representing everyone and, of course, like respecting every single culture in the nations. Uh, but I, I'm also sure that like every avatar will struggle with something slightly different. I think, yes, the avatar should be mostly balanced and uh, always be thinking about all four nations but also the point like they cycle through each nation and I feel like um that's for a reason (laughs) it's so that they can take on lessons learned um from their own nation and element and and from their own upbringing um otherwise you just have one avatar that lives forever and okay. the, the point of, you know, having this collective is so that everyone brings a new lesson in to the, because, you know, you have, you can connect to the memories of, of the previous avatars. So like the idea is that you, you continue to grow and you continue to, you, you add with your own lessons from your personal life and your element and your nation, but always like keeping in mind all four, of course. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And then our next question is from Kawhi Prince MH on Instagram. Which element would you like to bend? I think for me, for me, it's water. I would guess. Um, I'm I'm not very much into zodiac signs, but I think uh, I'm a Libra, so I think I should be air. Uh, So if we go by that, I should be an airbender. But uh, if I could choose, I would definitely choose water, I think. Hmm. Uh, see, I, see, I want to say fire because I feel that's cool, but that, <laughs> that's not me. Um, I feel like it would be earthbending uh, if I was being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, may, maybe airbending, but I feel earthbending would be uh, the most realistic fit for me. I feel like... It's between fire and water. It's like opposites. <laughs> I think you. I think you said you said everything just in that. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, if we go going zodiac zodiac signs, I'm a Gemini, so it makes sense. I choose two opposites. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think water might be better suited, um, and the reason why is because so one of the reasons why I think fire is because I can be uh, really stubborn and. Uh, really uh, like what's the word not hot-headed but like when I get an idea like I it blows up (laughs) 
Um, okay. But which is why I'm like, maybe water, because I'm also like quite, uh, like I go with the flow a lot. <laughs> um, but like water can be just as untamed as fire. Mm. So maybe water, because then it adds like the other, like the, the like gentler side to me and like the more like go with the flow chill <laughs> so, so being an airbender would be flying which would be cool mm, so that that would that be true. if i had to choose air it would be because of flying yes that's, that's probably all i would do <laughs> i'm like i'd be such a good waterbender that i'd just like bend water high enough so i'd basically be flying <laughs> i just have an airbender friend <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's our questions because we did kind of drip through quite a few in the episode, but we really do appreciate uh, any questions or feedback. So you can send those to feedback at mymadder.com or on our social media, which is at mymadder on Twitter, at mymadder.tees on Instagram or at Tazzy on both. So unfortunately, we have reached the end of this episode. Honestly, uh, I could have, uh, there's, there's loads we didn't get to, um, <laughs> as I'm sure you'll know if you have watched this show, but it was really good having you uh, on the show, Erin, and uh, hearing all about your uh, avatar love. It was just, it, yeah, it's, there's so much to talk about. And uh, I'm sure that people listening, you know, they, they have so many other ideas and, you know, interpretations and passions towards the show. It's it's so multifaceted and it's so interesting. So I'm, I was really, really happy to be here for this. Cool. Yeah, that no, was an amazing discussion. Um, so if you would like to hear more discussions uh, like this, well, not on Avatar, but uh, other stories, you can uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts uh, and Spotify. You can also leave us a message on Anchor. No one's done that yet. So you will get bonus points for the first person to leave us a message on Anchor. Uh, you can also share the podcast with your friends and followers so we can reach more people. Uh, we also make our own stories um, at Maya Matter. You can check out our manga universe. Uh, we also have a Kickstarter that we're planning, uh, which also has a story that is somewhat inspired by the pandemic. Um, ours is a little different. We're uh, taking a, a cast of our characters and uh, creating a story where they have to navigate a pandemic uh, scenario. Uh, it's called Serious Through the Fog, and we're still sort of working on the, uh, the planning, but uh, the idea is like the end of this month. Uh, to have that out so you can check out mymatter.com forward slash manga to check out the stories we already have and you can join us on september the 26th where we will be having our second gamepad online event and join us right now in our discord which a link will be in the show notes uh, other than that you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture our email address is feedback at mymatter.com. You can also check out the website to listen and subscribe to future episodes, which is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. Until next time, stay tuned and be like Momo. Mm-hmm.